Hi, everybody. All right, so I wrestled for the two weeks that Brandon was preaching, and I didn't have to come up with a sermon by the end of the week, but I started working on the sermons, just collecting little bits and pieces. And when I, when I had the fortune, and I really do mean that, to draw the diversity characteristic, I really tried to think, how do you go about this? And so I was going to begin it with an introduction of a word that was new to me. Let's see it up there. Heterogeneity. When you see the word heterogeneity, how do you respond to that? What does that make you think? What is, where's Ken going with this? By definition, it means the quality or state of consisting of dissimilar or diverse elements. But the word also, you could say assortment, multiplicity, you could say variety, you could say diversity. It's the overarching word that talks about diversity. And it, usually when we think of the word diversity, where does your, where does your brain go? Immediately goes to a discussion on race relations, especially black and white issues and relationships. But it's bigger than that. It's, it's way bigger than that to think, to think about diversity within the church. And so Harry and I were talking, and I said, let's, let's do a little something. I want to know about the diversity of our worship. Now, there's all kinds of styles of worship. You have traditional worship. You have what used to be called contemporary worship. I don't know what we'd call it anymore because what was contemporary is no longer contemporary, but more modern songs. There's gospel. There's country western. We saw, we were down in Tennessee a little bit this week, and we saw advertised on one place that they do the cowboy church thing on Sundays. And I'm going like, oh, I'm so sorry that I'm not going to be here for that. <laughs> Mary Kay understood all my emphasis there. But I was talking with Harry, our diversity in music, not just the style that we sing, but how about the age of the songs? Because some of you say, you know, how about the old songs, Ken? When are we going to sing the old songs? Well, I gave Harry homework, and this is what he came up with. For the year 2023, because Harry keeps a list of every song we sing every Sunday. And he went back and he looked at the list and he looked at the dates that these pieces were written. And for the year of 2023, we, we divided it into three categories. 1772 to 1956, because the year I was born is a very dividing year, 1956. <laughs> so 1772 to 1956 is category one. 1956 to 1995 is the second category, and 1995 to present is the third category. 37% of our songs were from that first category. 1772 to 1956. 18% were from 1950 to 1960. 
were from 1956 to 1995. And then 45% were in the 1995 to the present. So we're, we're pretty well distributed across the years of the songs that we sing, like today. The songs that we sang, the first one was written in 2017, category three. The second one, Blessed Assurance, was written in 1873, obviously in the first category. Soon and Very Soon, written by Andre Crouch in 1976. Then we did the medley between In Christ Alone and the Solid Rock, and that was 2001-1863, combining those two songs. And then we will close on How Great Is Our God, written in 2004. So diversity can mean so many different things. It's just the difference between all the parts that make up the whole. And so that's where we're going to look. There's informational diversity. When you consider people's professional backgrounds, are their education, are their skills, that's under the category of informational diversity. You also have visible diversity, which is race and age and ethnicity. But then you have value-based diversity, which could be ethical. It also could be motivational or it could be economical. So there's all kinds of ways to divide heterogeneity so that we understand all the parts of the body that make up the whole. Why is this conversation, though, so often a hard conversation? We're going to talk about diversity in the church today. And some people get excited and some people shudder. Some are, oh yeah, and some are, oh no. The overwhelming majority of American Christians attend churches that are primarily one ethnicity or another. Churches are so polarized, polarized, polaroided, polarized, across this conversation, along with our society. The sad truth is that many churches have not only been content with division and stratification across all these different racial, eth ethnic, sociological things, whatever. So many have been so content, but they've also been complicit in fostering that division. Some of our churches have worked hard to not be as diverse as they should be. That's, I'm going to tell you right now, that's not right. But it is real. We have not, in the main, embraced the pursuit of what would be called the beautiful community that God intended. Pastors, I read this and I thought, wow. But pastors of various ethnic backgrounds, the majority of white churches, the majority of black churches, the majority of Asian churches, all these pastors get together and they will express the same sentiment. They will say, we believe the vision of Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, all the nations gathering. We believe that vision. 
we just don't think it's going to happen in our church today. Hmm. Our sign out front says that First Baptist Church of Mount Healthy is a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. Oh, hush up. It took Harry about five seconds to put that on the sign. (laughs) But let's get busy with that, okay? That's what we're going to talk about a little bit. Let me pray with you. Father God, thank you so much for this family of people that you have brought into this house today. Father, for those that are here, for those that are tuning in, you have brought together your children. So today we came expecting to hear from you. We came hoping to be different when we leave than the way we came in the door. Father, we pray that we would hear your voice, be touched by your spirit, be moved by you in our minds and in our hearts today. Help us to become aware of your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. So the intention of our maker's design is where we're going to start with today. And we're going to first look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, you kind of saw this verse coming, didn't you? You thought we'd probably do this one. And all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. That phrase is where I want to start. The body is not one member, but many. Paul goes on to give examples in that passage of the foot saying, but I'm not a hand, or the ear saying, I'm not an eye. And then wondering, am I a necessary part of the body? I can't do the things that that other part does. Sometimes we think, why am I here? But Paul's resolution in his writing, as you read on down through that 12th chapter, between the weaker and the more, what the scripture calls the more noble parts or the stronger parts of the body, is that to the member that lacks strength, to the member that lacks obvious purpose, to the member that lacks whatever, puts it in a superior or inferior position, that there's no division in the body, that all the members have the same care for one another. This is us as a church. One division, however you want to divide it. That's what I tried to say early on. There's all kinds of divisions. It's not just the obvious easy division, all kinds of divisions. Not one has an advantage over the other. Some may seem more noble and some less noble, but to the less noble parts of the body, God gave greater grace so that they would be cared for in their need. In their... I have an appendix. Have you got an appendix? Some of you don't. But I have an appendix still. It's just hanging around. As far as I can tell, as far as medical science can tell right now, it's not really doing much. 
I could live with it. I could live without it. God, why did you put it there? At one point, it may have had a greater purpose. But just because I don't use it anymore, Robert, I don't want to just like have somebody come and get it. <laughs> Didn't you have an issue with an appendix one time? Yeah. Like to killed you, didn't it? That little thing that just doesn't do anything just about killed you. Whoa. Wasn't insignificant at all. In our bodies, everything is there for a purpose. We are all there in the church for a purpose. Whether it seems obvious to everyone or not, we are all there for a purpose. In verses 26 and 27 of that chapter say this, if one member suffers, all members suffer. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Oh, my sister gave a testimony last week. And in her testimony, Lisa talked about there was that Sunday when the weight of all her situation of life was just weighing down on her and it took her to tears. And when she looked up, there was a whole group of people that had gathered around her to pray for her. What a glorious time. But wait a minute. Anybody here hurting today? Anybody here wrestling with something today? That you wish that the body of Christ would come around you and pray? Do you know something about someone who is sitting in here today that is going through it? That is struggling? Why don't we gather around them? My sister knows, and she would be the first to agree with me. All right, you know, Lisa, you saw her up here dancing and praising God. You've seen her busy with the food pantry. She's well known in the church and plays a good role in the church. So is that why she got all the attention? Maybe. Because some of us who are less known don't get that attention. I'm here to say, folks, as the body of Christ, we all need to give attention to all the rest of the body. Every member of the body should receive equal opportunity for blessings and encouragement and support and love and usefulness and productivity. Every member of the body, no matter what you define your particular job in the body as everybody is important second idea first the body is not one member but many the second is glory be to god for dappled things funny phrase dappled things but gerard manley hopkins wrote in his poem this phrase Glory be to God for dappled things. To be dappled is to be variegated, to have different colors. And so I first remember hearing the word dappled in talking about horses that have, you know, like a pinto that has multicolors and all this, a dappled mare. 
And so, glory be to God for dappled things. Our God loves differences. Loves it. He is the author of dappled things. He, at creation, at the very end, looked at all his creation, all the variations, all the colors, all the sizes, and he said, this is really good. Our God is a God of diversity. I mean, look at it. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three understandings of who God is. One God, three expressions, each having different ways of relating to His creation. Diversity begins within God the Father in His Trinitarian beauty, and we are made in His image. Glory be to God for dappled things. And let me tell you, the key to understanding diversity within the church is going to be the gospel. Let me define a term for you. The term is social constructs. Social constructs, those things that psychologists and sociologists all work within. But social construct is a concept that exists not in objective reality, but as the result of human interaction. It exists because humans agree that it exists. Huh? What? It doesn't have to be real. It just has to have a group of people who agree that it exists. And it becomes a social construct. And you might think that a particular social construct is real and it's not, excuse me, and it's not. But if it's real to you, it is real. This is so confusing. But what I want to say is, if somebody is quiet and shy, if somebody is reserved by nature and they just aren't very noisy and they don't just volunteer to be in everything, this is not Lisa we're talking about here. Lisa is in everything. She's got so much going on. But you know, if you're, if you're just quiet, if you're just shy, if you're just kind of... Some people might think, you don't care. Some people might think, you don't want to be a part, that you have nothing to offer. And if, if I think that, and I come over here and I tell Brina that, and I say, you know, they just don't seem to care very much about our church. They just don't seem to want to be involved. They just don't have anything to offer, so we just need to leave them alone, let them be quiet, and we start talking about this. And she says, you know, I think you're right. And then she goes and she talks to, you know, someone else. And I go and I talk to someone else. And all of a sudden, we've got a little group. And we have what is called a social construct. We all think that that's right. And it's probably not. That person is just quiet by nature. Some of you would say that describes you. Some of you would very easily Raise your hand and say, uh, well, no, you wouldn't because you wouldn't want to raise your hand. But some of you would think, oh, he's talking about me. Maybe. Makes you worry, huh? But it's not true to think that just because someone is quiet, 
that they are uninterested, that they are not worthy. We must be intentional about deconstructing socially divisive constructs and the gospel is the key that we're going to use to take these things apart. Because within the church, what we do, well, first of all, what we do is the gospel. We're going to talk about diversity and four reasons for diversity in our church. And I'm going to use a lot of scripture. Our first comment is the beauty of unity in diversity. The beauty of what God intended in his creation, in the diversity, in the diverse elements that he put in place, this beautiful community that he designed. Let's go to Psalms 96 and let's look at the beauty of the unity that's in diversity. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from the day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Sing a new song. Something new, not something old, something just fresh, not something just routine. Same old song. We have new mercies to celebrate in people's all over the world, but we have new things to celebrate across our church body. Sing a new song, church, of glory to God. Proclaim Him to all the peoples. There's a comment by F.B. Myers. It says, If the Lord Jesus has become King of your heart and has brought blessings to you, do not hesitate to give voice to your allegiance and show His glory. If God is good to you, let it be known. Oh, come on. If God has been good to you, let it be known. All right. Now, that is so unfair, right? The preacher's like going, come on, give me some more, give me some more. But I want us to understand that we need to express our love for God and His Word and His action in our lives. And we need to not be hesitant to do that. We need to be encouraged to do that. We need to be free to do that, to express how much God has done for us. Verse 4, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Even these worthless, powerless, little G gods that have snuck in and tried to sneak into the place of the Lord God Jehovah, they are, they're bad. They are worthless. They do not have the nature or the power of the Lord God who created us. They are fakes. All these other gods that are out there are fake gods. The Word of God says, Thou shalt have no other God before me. The Word of God recognizes that there are going to be other gods out there. All of them are of our making. There's none that just made themselves. But all the gods of our making are fake gods because we don't understand the real, true, one God, Jehovah. 
There is no God like Jehovah. Period. Verse 6, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families, all of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. First couple of verses, it's sing and it's tell. Now it's to ascribe. God promised Abraham in you all the families of the earth, not just the Jewish nation. In you, all the peoples of creation will be blessed. Genesis 12, 3. Mark it down in your Bible. It's very misunderstood, this Genesis 12, 3. But in Abraham, all the people would be blessed because the Savior, Jesus Christ, would be born in the line of Abraham. You can trace it. The Bible does trace it for you. From Abraham all the way to the birth of Jesus in Nazareth, in Bethlehem, but who grew up in Nazareth, all the world will be blessed. Why? Because for God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. All the world. Verse 9, worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Holy attire doesn't mean you have to wear green. Holy attire doesn't mean you have to dress one way or another because the attire that God is interested in is not what you wear on the outside, but what you look like on the inside. The attire that God wants to see is the heart of man. So let the God of all the nations see you clothed in the righteousness of his works, of his hand, active in your life, Let all the nations see this. You are not to exalt yourself, but he alone is worthy of praise. He alone is worthy of being lifted up. And all the world should be all about lifting up their creator God. Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all, the, all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. Bless before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. He is coming to judge. Now, C.S. Lewis was once talking about the ancients lived in a world that seem like usually judges, and go ahead and read about it in the Bible, but usually judges needed to be bribed, they needed to be coerced, they needed to be something, because they just weren't equal in their judgment. It was exceedingly hard to come by a judge who would be fair to the weak, the poor, the disadvantaged. But there's a quote by James Boyce that says, in such a climate, The disadvantaged did not fear judgment, but rather longed for it. Because it meant a day when evil would be punished and those who did the right things would be vindicated. That's the day that we long for. There will come a day when the Lord will be established once again. When all the people in all the earth will exalt in his name. Will be lifted up in his presence. And he will come to judge. And in that moment... When he comes to judge, 
Evil will be done in, and good will be lifted up once and for all. And we look forward to that day. Sounds like I'm going about to go into Revelation and do something. No, not yet, not yet. There's no room, though, in the creation of God for exclusivity in the worship of God. None of these divisions that we see in our churches are rightly placed. Our churches, everybody stands on equal ground at the foot of the cross in need of a Savior. Everybody stands not only in the need of a Savior, but those of us who have given our hearts and our lives to God, we have received from Him what He desires for everyone, whether they know it or not, has no place in the church for exclusivity. Beauty and power of praise comes from the nations united in love, united in worship. And this is what the Lord deserves. This will glorify the creator of all the people. That was a long first point. Here's the second point. Diversity is biblical. As if you didn't think I'd get there. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. And Robert sent me this verse, but in a different version called the easy version. Because it's easy to read, easy to hear. And so it's not your standard King James, not your standard New American Standard. The easy version. So I put it up there for us all to read together. They baptized you as believers in Christ. That means that you put on Christ like someone who puts on new clothes. Does not matter whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. Does not matter whether you are a slave or a free person. Does not matter whether you are a man or a woman. You all belong together because you all belong to Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are descendants of Abraham. Because of that, you will receive all the good things that God promised to Abraham. And the main things that he promised were, I'll be your God, and you'll be my people. Those who are for you, I'll be for. Those who are against you, I'll be against. And through you, through us, all the world, not just people who look like us, not just people who live in our neighborhood, not just people who drive the same kind of... All the world will be blessed with the presence of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Diversity is intentional. In a world where division is the norm, the church needs to be abnormal. The church does not need to be normal. Look at what we're about to do in this year, 2024. We're about to have an electoral process. It's already begun. The divisions, the lines are already drawn deeply. We are going to be so divided. We're going to be so, oh, they said, but they, but they, you know, and we're going to point fingers and we're going to accuse and we're just going to do all this stuff. Why? Because the normal way of the world is to be divided. And that is so against what God intended from the beginning. Diversity is a cons conscious, conspicuous part of God's philosophy for the church. If it feels different, if diversity feels different from what you're used to, you need to dig in. You need to explore. You need to experience. You don't need to run and hide. You don't need to point fingers and stay away from. If something's going on in the body of Christ that 
oh, I'm just not sure if I'm comfortable with that. Well, guess what? Get comfortable. Because this is a multi-variegated world that God created. We are a dappled creation. We are made up of all kinds of varieties. And we just like to do things a little different. I like, you can't tell by looking, watch your comments, but I like to eat out. And I like to eat out in all kinds of places. I can't get my wife to go with me to some of these places because it's not her favorite kind of food. But it's okay. She gives me permission. Well, why don't you just go get your stuff and I'll get my stuff and we'll just meet over here and we'll have a picnic. I'm okay with that. There's so much good food out there in the world. Oh my goodness. I used to wear a t-shirt when we'd do pancakes at midnight on campus that says Jesus loves pancakes. And I'd have people that would come up to me and say, how do you know? And I would tell them very confidently, because every culture I've ever been in around the world has some kind of round, flat, bread-like substance. Why wouldn't Jesus like a pancake? <laughs> amen and amen. amen. There's so much diversity just in our diet. But you've got to get out there and sample it. You've got to get out there and taste it. It's okay if you don't like it, but it, at least you know you don't like it. You just don't imagine that you don't like it. There's so much out there that if we discover, if we explore, we really do begin to see the length and the breadth and the depth of God's intentions. Diversity is beneficial. We learn more about ourselves when we share our faith with others. That's all I want to say here. It's beneficial because you learn more about yourself when you share your faith with other people. Maybe you have to explain the way you do your faith. Good. Make them pay attention. Make them listen. And then hush up and listen as they explain the way they do their faith. Right now, justice is over there in Ghana and been there for a week. And they're having a great trip. In fact, some of the guys from the New Hope Church went over. Pastor Kumar and a couple of his guys went over. And Justice has sent me pictures and all the things going on in these four churches that have been planted. And I know that I know that I know that Kumar and his friends sat there through some of the worship, some of the conversations, just like I sit there when the Nepalis get together. And they all talk Nepali. And I have no clue what they're saying. But I want to know and I want to celebrate with them. I have worshiped in this building on so many occasions, listening to the praise and the worship of a tongue that I can't even begin to understand. And yet I hear their heart. I hear their heart of worship. And I'm better for it. Number three in the list here is reunion is the story of Scripture. While the fall destroyed the union and the unity that God had intended, the scripture tells us this is what God wants to restore. Words like renewed, reconciled, united, all of these proclaim the reversal of the fractures, the divides, the breaks, the partitions in this life. 
All these things serve to keep us from what God intended, but it's what we so desperately need to understand. When Christ died on the cross, let me tell you, there's two strategies that you need to understand. The first strategy is to restore the relationship between Creator and the humanity He created. In the temple, there used to be this big veil between the rest of the temple and the Holy of Holies. And when Christ died on the cross, that veil was ripped from top to bottom. It was taken away so that the Holy of Holies was now accessible to everyone. The relationship between the Creator and the created Jesus said at his death, that's not how it's going to be anymore. You are going to have access to the very creator who put you together, who designed all of this. And what did we do in the temple? We put up new divisions. We put up new restrictions. We put up new laws and and preferences and things like that. We divided again the house of God that Christ died to unite. The second one is to restore the harmony that God intended for people who live in community. So there's these two strategies, and I want to walk through as I begin to finish up, but it's a long finish. We're going to go through Ephesians 2, 13 through 15, and I'm going to take it apart phrase by phrase with you. But now, because now's the time, reunion has been in play since the fall in the garden. God put it into play. But now, in Christ Jesus, so let me set the record straight, Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only answer to the brokenness of the world. For every nationality, for every age, for every division, Jesus Christ is the answer. But now, in Jesus Christ, you who were formerly far off, you were separated from God by your sin, you'd, been, you'd let that separation creep into and take up residence in your life between you and so many other people in the body of Christ that are different from you. You were formerly far off, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. There is a cost to this unity of the diversity of God's creation. That cost is great, but that's the cost that your Lord, God, Jehovah, Father, Son, Spirit, this is the cost that He is willing to pay to restore the unity of the community, the beauty of the diversity of His creation. And Christ paid that price for us. You who were formerly far off have been bought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, the peace that passes all understanding, that has been absent from our lives and our land for so long, but has the power and capacity to touch all of us, to unite all of us. This peace that has, peace that is the bridge across all diversity and difference is the peace of Christ, who made both groups 
into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Both groups, all groups, so many divisions in the church that shouldn't be there now being restored by the unity intended from the pronouncement. This was very good. But all of that, Christ is breaking down the dividing wall. Not just set aside, not just scooting it over, but he wants to destroy the divisions between us. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances. Now, I kept reading through that, I kept reading through that, I kept reading through that. I was going like, what? Why, where did we go? Why did we wind up all of a sudden in the Jews and the Gentiles and the law and all of this? Well, because Jesus took two very diverse people, systems, understandings. The Jew who was trying under the law to be made right, the law of Moses, if I do all these things, I'll be right with God and not doing a very good job of it. And the Gentile who didn't even have the law, so he had no hope of ever being right before God, according to the law. And he took these two very different groups and he said, this difference that existed between the Jew under the law and the Gentile under the law, both of them failing to please God or come into fellowship with God, this difference, and he goes on to say, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man. Reunion. Hello. This is good stuff. Reunion. This is where it should have been all along. And we let petty little things divide us, keep us from experiencing the fullness of God's creation. And in the church, it has no place. It has no place in this church or any other church that calls the name of God. So that in himself, he might make the two into one. Jesus broke down the barrier, that wall that existed, he broke it down. So that Jesus is the common denominator. He is the one way by which we can come to God. He is the one way by which we have restoration with God. He is the one way that which we actually have community with each other. Because if we listen to what the world has to say and all the little G gods, it says divide, 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 divide. Jesus said, if you come together as the whole, you will multiply. You will not divide. All the world will see what's going on at First Baptist Church of Mount Healthy and they'll be going, I think I need a little bit of that. I need what they have going on in my life because all I see in my life is division and being kept out of. And I want to be included. I want to be at one. I want to be a part of the body of Christ. Please, if we do it right, all the world will be blessed. That was the promise in 12.3 of Genesis. If we do this right, all the world will be blessed. Not because of us, but because of the Christ who dwells within us in this diversity. More words. Thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body. The church, the bride of Christ, the voice of the great multitude like sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. 
All the people coming together. That's a heavenly vision that most pastors, I've already told you, don't think. They agree with it. That's going to happen someday, but not in my church. Well, this pastor wants it to happen in my church. I want to hear all the body come together and praise Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name. And when we do this together and not so separate, then others will hear us praise Him and they will come to see what all the noise is about. And He will be proclaimed. Last phrase, to God through the cross, having put to death the enmity. The enmity is that state or feeling of being actively opposed to, hostile to someone. That's enmity. And God put to death the enmity of the world, the enmity that hits your lives every day. God put an end to it through the gospel, through the good news, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because God so loved the world, all of it, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, whoever believes and confesses with their mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, risen from the dead. And they confess it and they hold it. And not only do you confess that he's Lord, but you realize that you're not. And you realize that you've got to repent of some sin. You've got to repent of some brokenness. You've got to repent of some separateness. And not only repent from it, but repent, you have to remember that other meaning is to turn away from you have to walk away from the things that are separating you from God. We will not have unity any other way but through the salvation of Jesus Christ. The first and foremost need that we have of this day is that there be restoration between you and your Father who loves you. First thing. The second need of the day is that we recognize the diversity within us as the church and embrace the differences, the necessary strengths that will restore the body of Christ and prepare us as the bride of Christ. Oh, that Christ would look on us and see us clothed in the righteous acts of our God. The diversity of our church is our strength. God created us so differently with so many different roles that we need to play to make the body work well. What is your part in that role? This is not my annual, I'm trying to recruit you to volunteer stuff. But this is the context that we need to keep. You're not here for your Sunday rah-rah session. You're here to find a place to serve alongside me and others in this church to glorify our God together. That's why I talk so much about family. For me, it's a big deal that you're my family and you're my family and you're my family and you're my family. That we are all family. Yeah, you people over here too. You're, we're all family. And we got to get a hold of that and not think that because you don't look like me, that you don't sound like me, 
that you don't have the same life experiences that I have, that we can't be family. It would scare you, I think, to know just how close you and I can become. But it would scare you just as much to know just how close you can become to that person sitting down the row from you, sitting across the building from you. It would scare you to know, though, that this is what God intends. You don't have to walk alone in this world. Not only is your pastor there because you pay him the big bucks to do these things, but your brother is there for you, just like your sister, just like your other brother, just like your other sister is there for you. If somebody's hurting in this church and you know about it, you need to go pray with them. If somebody's celebrating in this church and you know about it, you need to go celebrate with them. If you're hurting, you need to tell someone. Because I'm not very clairvoyant. I'm not just going to know. You got to tell me. You got to tell someone. This is what I. This is what I have going on in my life right now. Could you stand with me? And your answer better be yes, or the pastor's going to come after you. Somebody comes to you and says, "Would you stand with me in this?" Yes is the answer. Don't even hesitate. Don't even think about it. Yes is the answer. I will stand with you. I will celebrate your celebrations. I will mourn your losses. I will stand with you. And whatever I can do to help, I'll do. And whatever I can't do to help that I understand, I'll go find. Because that's who we are. There is a diversity here that makes us beautiful. Proclaim your Jesus in your way, in his fullness to everyone around you. Father God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for being with us and who we are and what we're about is all you. Reunite us, restore us, reinvigorate us as a church and point us in the directions that you want us to go. And Father, as we look at how we as a church together work with a world that is so divided, so torn, how we see a world around us, not only in our neighborhoods, but just in our cities and in our nation and in our world. Father, help us to see how we can begin to be the pathway that you've designed for us to be so that others might find you through the good news of a Savior who gave everything that they might also have everything. In Jesus' name. Amen.